Sunday, October the 1st. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. We're in a new series called Living Out of the Depths or Stop Splashing in the Shadows. Oh, sorry, in the Shallows. When someone brings a depth of who they are, a depth of love, a depth of authenticity, a depth of vulnerability, a depth of the presence of God, when someone brings their heart, which is rich and full, it's a gift to that moment. You know what I'm talking about. You know those moments when something deeper is going on than simply the physical facts that you can see and experience. Suddenly, instead of the splash of the shallows, we get awakened to the depths of who we are as human beings, and above all, as we get awakened to the depths of who we are as human beings, it opens us up to who God is and all that he longs to do. When something is authentic, attractive, and beautiful, and vulnerable, and profound, and rich, it's a gift to that moment. On every page of the Gospels, And when you think about the Gospels, most of the stories are about Jesus encountering individuals. The thing that's in common with almost all of the stories is that because they were in his physical presence, they became aware that they were in the presence of something greater, something deeper, something fuller, something richer. We need that, don't we? Our world needs that. It's a gift to every moment, and you can be that. Where God's placed you. You can be that in your marriage, in your family, in your street, in your workplace, in your croquet club. Anyone play croquet? Chess. Anyone play chess? Anyone in a chess club? No, I don't think so, Joel. (laughs) Last time, we began to see an archetypal pattern, a principle that is deeply ingrained through the whole of the Scriptures, that as we encounter God, we engage with the world, and that's what brings transformation. Think about anybody in the Bible that made any difference whatsoever, the same pattern. Encounter with God, engagement with the world brings transformation. And what we began to see last time also was the deeper that encounter with God is, then the greater our engagement will be in the world. It's the unseen reality that changes everything. The strength of the iceberg is not what you see on the top. It's what's going on underneath. 
the ability of the tree to grow tall is absolutely related to the depth with which it can put down its roots. These are, these are universal principles, aren't they? Hello? This is the way God made things to be. You can only go high if you go deep. You can only reach out as much as you've reached within. It's that archetypal pattern of Moses. So what stops us going deeper? Because when I talk about a life that encounters somebody else, a life that's not in the shallows but in the depths, I hope, I think, something inside of you goes, I want that. I want to be that person that brings into each and every moment something more than just what's physical, what's just there, what's on the surface. I I want to be that person that brings something deeper than just the shallows. No? We could sing our final hymn if not. But assuming, making the sweeping assumption that you do, That you would like your life, your relationships, your encounters to come from a deeper place because you know the impact that that has. And you are grateful for those that have impacted your life because they came from a deeper place. And even as I say that, you can name the people that have encountered you at a deeper level because of the impact, the legacy, what they've left behind. You with me? You know who those people are. When you think about your upbringing, you know those adults who brought something more than just the surface. You know those people in your adult life that have brought to you something deeper than the shallows. So we want to be those that go deep. What stops us? The first thing I think that stops us is fear. Is fear. To be open and vulnerable is to be courageous. To be those people that open up ourselves to others requires a level of courage that we don't always see in our relationships. And we are fearful of that. Because whenever we do something that's different or new or requires courage, the instinctive emotion is to be afraid. And we're afraid of what we don't know. And to be honest, to live out of the depths requires a level of effort. And I don't know about you, but I can't be bothered with more effort. Do you ever wake up and think, today will be a success if I get through? I don't need anything else. I don't need any... any effort of going deeper and if I can get to the end of the day and I haven't dot, 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 then I'll be pleased. It takes much more effort to live out of the depths and we don't have a lot of energy and effort left. It takes a lot of time as well. I'm barely holding it together and, I, and I'm not sure it's worth it because actually in the end, image is everything, isn't it? As long as you think that I'm doing okay, then I'm okay. Is that right? Or performance. Image and performance. The illusion that as long as you think I'm doing okay, and as long as I perform enough in order for you to think that I'm okay, then we must all be okay. And we can be conned by that illusion. 
That if I can just live on the surface but convince you that it's all going well, then that's all that I need to do. And yet we know there is so much more than getting through. We know that there is so much more than just the physical. Just incidentally, because we skipped past it last time, uh, when we looked at that verse from Moses later on in his life, later on from where we will be today, Moses is coming down the mountain and he dishes out the Ten Commandments. And yet the Bible reminds us that something so much more was happening in that moment than just the physical. It says that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he was not aware but the other people were, otherwise it wouldn't have been written down, that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. In that moment of Moses giving the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, there was so much more going on than just Moses giving the people the Ten Commandments. True? There was something about that encounter that Moses has had with God that was making a difference to the people. His face was radiant, so much more than the physical. And we've not been good at having words for this because we're, we're totally caught in the illusion of image and performance and what's literally in front of us. We know that it's there, but we don't often give it the same concrete value of the things that we can see. What are the words we might use? We might use the words of beauty or of wonder or of otherness or the theological or the posh philosophical word, transcendence. There's something bigger and richer and deeper than just this moment. So, for example, and we all know it and we all experience it, when you get up one morning early, if you've ever done that, some people find that easier than others, and you drive through the countryside and the mist is hovering over the grass. Now, physically, that's just water particles hanging in the air over a bit of grass. That's all it is. But something stirs within you. True? It touches you because in that physical reality is captured something that's deeper and richer. It's the way God made the world to be. You can live in the shallows. And some of us are so stressed about where we're going that day, we don't really even notice the mist and the blah, blah, blah. It's just just there. But yet in that physical reality is something so much deeper. We know what we mean. All these things stop us giving attention to the otherness. And the word that the Bible gives for that otherness is the soul. And you've probably got your own reasons why you don't give attention to your soul more often. For 30 seconds... Just by yourself, don't tune out, because that's what we tend to do. Try and lean in for a moment. What's the excuse you tell yourself? Or do you no longer make any excuse for really leaning into your soul?
make the question slightly easier before you share it with someone. Why do you find it hard to give attention to the deepest part of your being, to your soul? Go. Explain that to the person next to you in just a, a gentle, appropriate way. Okie doke. What, what stops us? What stops us going deeper? Distraction. Ooh, it's, that's a killer, isn't it? Easy to be distracted than to go deep. Yeah, yeah, live, live right here and now. There's enough going on right now to keep me focused. Yeah. Sorry? Late. No, no, for sure. You always put it off to another moment. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're worried about what, what it might reveal or what it might challenge us about or ask of us. Not sure I want to do it anyway. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, where will that journey end? And will I be left stuck in it? I think, and we're, we're scudding around the edges, I think there's a bigger reason There's a bigger reason than any of these why we don't live out of the depths of our soul. And the problem is what's there. The problem is what's there. Cue the story of Moses. Be great for you to have it open. Just those uh, verses that we read about. Exodus chapter 2. This is the big idea for today. The reason that we find it difficult, I think, to live out of the depths, the reason we find it difficult to dig down and engage with our soul is because of what's there. Verse 11, we'll come back to it in a moment, says one day when he'd grown up, we'll come back to that. What happens? He sees something he doesn't like. That's what verse 11 says. And then verse 12, having seen something he doesn't like, Moses, the great man of God, the great hero of our faith, 
What does it say? He says, he looks this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. It's wonderfully refreshing, isn't it? Just like that. In a moment, he made a decision, or in a moment, the decision made him. And maybe for the first time in his life, he lived out of his depths. That's what he's doing in this moment. He was, for the first time in his life, maybe he was true to himself. His actions and feelings aligned. And we know all that stuff we were doing in the last series about behavior and feelings. When our actions and our feelings align, there's great power in that. And in that moment, Moses' actions and feelings aligned. And there was so much power that in a moment, he killed a man. You see, he lived out of his depths, but the trouble was, what was in his depths was judgment and anger and hatred and resentment. And in one swift moment, it all came pouring out. And before he knew it, he was digging a grave in the sand. Now, where did that come from? Where did all that stuff come from? Typically, you don't get up in the morning, feel comfortable with yourself, but one in the world, see something you don't like and kill someone. Just as well. Just a, t- typically we don't do, we might want to, but typically we don't do that. Where did it come from? These emotions, these feelings, that action came from somewhere, right? To be honest, we know this story. Sometimes you'll say of yourself when you act out of character or when you see someone else act out of character, you'll say, where on earth did that come from? I I didn't see that coming. The truth is, you know where it came from. Whether it's yourself or someone else, where did that action come from? Where did those feelings come from? We know they come from within. It all comes from within. That's what Jesus thinks anyway. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. You see the problem. If we all acted out of our hearts, we'd be smashing people's face in every day. You think, oh, no, no, we wouldn't. Mm. If you let what's in your heart go unbridled, unchecked, allowed it to fester, we all might find ourselves killing someone once in a while. Don't be too hard on Moses. What's Jesus saying here? If we live out of the depths, Jesus is saying, out of the heart, if we live out of the depths, we'd betray the people we love. If we live out of the depths, we'll steal people's stuff. If we live out of the depths, we'll destroy the beauty of sex. If we live out of the depths, we'll crush people's identity and destroy their honor. That's what Jesus is saying, isn't he? Not sure, are you? Not sure. Who knows what I'm talking about? If you let the feelings in your heart run unbridled, what kind of car crash would that be? 
Now that's an interesting question, isn't it? We should do a leg exercise. Draw a picture of the car crash there would be if you let your feelings go unbridled in your heart. You see the problem? When we say to one another, do you know what? Let's live out of the depths. It's a good job we actually say no thank you for our own protection. Can you see that? I can't live out of the depths because I'm afraid what's in there. If I let that out, whew, could be an exciting Sunday morning. Let's go back to Moses. What's all this got to do with Moses? Have it open in front of you. Exodus chapter 2. See that it's there. Verse 11, it says, one day, then what does it say? After Moses had grown up. The writer is making a connection with Moses growing up and what's happening next. In our Western world, we tend to think always just in a linear, physical, factual way. Oh, well, once he was an adult. But the Bible is way more nuanced than that. After he had grown up, as a result of his growing up, as a consequence of his growing up, as the culmination of his growing up, dot, 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 he went out and killed someone. That's a different way of thinking about it. Think about his childhood experiences. The first three months, verse 2. When he saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. You need to go back to verse 22 of the previous chapter to understand what's going on. The king of the time was feeling threatened by the Hebrews, and so he ordered that all uh, Hebrew boys that were born should be killed. So the context is genocide. That's what's going on. Moses is born into this environment. And she hid him for three months. What are the emotions that that child is feeling? Fear, anxiety, trauma, positive feelings. Don't miss the positive feelings, okay? You're right on the money. But that child felt love from his mother, don't you think? Whatever that mother did was motivated by a deep sense of love for her child. Nevertheless, the feelings that that child experienced would have been fear and anxiety And what emotions would have been developing in intensity whilst Moses was growing in his mother's womb? Fear, anxiety, this world isn't safe, panic, insecurity. All of that's going on with this mother who loves her child. And what we know from neuroscience is that feelings, what people talk about the right brain and the left brain, so you've got a right brain that looks after your feelings and a left brain that looks after your thinking, or no brain at all that looks after nothing, some of us are like that for sure, but the right brain that looks after feelings, the left brain that looks after thinking. What we know from neuroscience is 
All of that in the story, Moses' left brain hasn't even kicked in yet. It's not even developed. It doesn't even start. So Moses, through this whole journey, this whole period of time that's being talked about, is all in this space here. That's all he's thinking about. He can only feel. Moses is not going, oh, well, I know, I know what's going on. And I know my mum loves me and I know this and I, I'm trying to work it all out. All he can do is feel. What are the dominant feelings? Well, you talked about them. It's fear, it's anxiety, it's uncertainty, it's distrust. All of that stuff that you were mentioning some moments uh, ago. After three months, what happens? Verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So after three months, Moses gets abandoned. That's what he felt, surely. With the assumption, what? What does Moses' mother think will happen to him? Do you think she hopes that? What does she fear? That nobody will. Nobody will. The fear is that nobody will. No wonder in verse 6, Moses was crying. And we haven't even mentioned the crocodiles in the Nile yet. Abandonment and terror. Now notice what's important. Notice what's important. Moses' mum loved him and did everything right, didn't she? What else could she have done? Even so, think about the dominant emotions that Moses has to deal with. Then something great happens, big cheer. Come on, let's lighten up in the room. It's a bit heavy, isn't it? No, no, I said. Then something great happens. Let's lighten up in the room, big cheer. Great, thank you very much. Are you just humoring me? Or did you enjoy that? No, you enjoyed it, didn't you? Because I said. Verses 6, 7, and 8, something miraculous happens. Big cheer. God does something amazing. Don't lose sight of this. This is really important. God does something amazing. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the bulrushes. Yes! Even better, Pharaoh's daughter wants that baby to be looked after. Yes! Even better than that, Moses' daughter needs some help in looking after the baby, so she gives the baby back to the baby's mother. Yes! It's unbelievable, isn't it? Don't miss the miraculous in the story. That's right there, isn't it? That's incredible, don't you think? Don't you think? That's, that, I mean, like God does some amazing stuff sometimes, and that right there is utterly amazing. Don't miss it. Then what happens after the miracle? Well, verse 10, after the tough, messy bits of sleepless nights, snappy, weaning, potty training, and all that, Pharaoh's daughter wants him back. You see that in verse 10? Who is Moses closest to? Who does Moses feel safest with? Where will Moses want to be? More. Egypt was a foreign culture to Hebrews in every way, a culture that hated his own people. 
And knowing he was a Hebrew, he had to live like an Egyptian. And knowing she wasn't his mother, he had to live as if she was. Do you ever wonder where Moses' anger came from? Can you see that? It's no wonder that perhaps for the first time in his life, his actions aligned with his feelings, he goes and kills someone. Because Moses is furious. He's angry. He's been abandoned. He's been rejected. He's been crushed. He's been oppressed. He's been disappointed. And if I let all that loose in my life, I'd probably kill someone too. Thank you. Wait. Ah, oh, wait, 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 wait. Before we get too carried away, aren't we missing something? H- haven't I retold the story with a bias? Why was Moses angry? Moses had nothing to be angry about. God had rescued him. Surely Moses understood how blessed he was to be <coughs> rescued by God. The other Hebrew boys were being killed. Moses got to live. Why wasn't he grateful? God had provided for his mother and for his family. Wasn't Moses aware of God's miraculous provision? He had nothing to be resentful about or feel rejected about. God had watched over him and looked after him. How could Moses ever have felt abandoned? Nothing further from the truth. While his countrymen were in slavery, Moses himself was living in a palace with people serving and dealing with all his needs. Moses needs to get a grip and realize how lucky he was. Doesn't he? Now, what do you think about that? That's the way that most of us tell the story. That's the way most of the time you will have heard the story. How many times have you heard someone talk about Moses in the way that I did about his childhood. Isn't that shocking? Maybe one or two of us. Have we made that up? Is that not there in the scriptures? You see, we tell ourselves a story sometimes that stops us getting in touch with the deep, with the depths. Which story is true? You see, our left brain, the thinking part that gets developed later, it doesn't catch up with our right brain until probably we're about seven or eight, and people will argue about that. It's irrelevant for our purpose this morning. So we've got all these feelings that have no connection with the way that we think. And then we send people to school, and no, no kind of criticism, well, maybe it is implied criticism of the schooling system, but it's certainly no criticism of those who are in it. We spend all of our time then helping people develop which side of their brain. Left brain. And you know people that can be super intelligent, and when it comes to common sense, they're as thick as two short planks. Who knows what I'm talking about? When it comes to emotional intelligence, brain of Britain, emotional intelligence. Because we intentionally encourage people to develop their right brain, sorry, their left brain, to develop that thinking capacity. And so our thinking capacity dominates. And our thinking capacity doesn't cope very well with our right brain and all those messy, ugly feelings. So it's easier to tell the left brain story. The story of, well, what's Moses got to be upset about? He was rescued after all, wasn't he? What's Moses got to be angry about? God looked after him, didn't he? 
What's Moses feeling so oppressed by? He ended up living in the Egyptian palace. And it overrides those feelings. Now, the reason I'm trying to balance both of them is is that I think it's very easy for us to not engage with some of the things that have happened to us because our left brain tells a story that doesn't let our right brain have a voice. Many of us get trapped like that. I have no right to feel this way because dot, dot, dot. Moses saying, I have no right to feel abandoned because God rescued me. I have no right to feel I was rejected because there was provision for me. I have no right to feel that I was oppressed because actually I lived in the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh. And yet he did feel abandoned and he did feel crushed and he did feel oppressed and he did feel rejected unless he was totally unlike any other human being that had ever been on the planet. And so we get trapped because we say I have no right to have those feelings because our left brain tells us a story. I was trapped like that. My left brain had told me a story that stopped me engaging with the right brain, the heart, the feelings. It's no secret that I had huge trauma in my early life, born without an eyelid. I spent a, a lot of time away from home in hospital, multiple surgeries, that in the end failed to save my, the sight in my eye. There's no secret about that. And you can imagine the emotions as a child that's only feeling, can't imply left brain, just feeling, just emotion. But then I grew up when my left brain kicked in and I started telling myself, and all this happens at a subconscious level, I started telling myself a different story. I started telling myself, how could I possibly in any way have feelings of being abandoned when my parents loved me so much? And they absolutely did. How could I possibly have feelings of not being safe when I grew up in a lovely home, had a stable family, went to a great school, enjoyed a community of people that were consistent through my childhood. So how could I possibly feel unsafe? How could I carry a sense of not being enough when I left school with the highest grades possible? And so because I tell myself that story, all of those feelings never, ever have a voice. Why am I sharing that? Because that's true for some of you. And in some ways, that's true for all of us somewhere. You with me? We tell ourselves a story, and it stops us being real about the things that we feel. We tell ourselves a story, and it stops us being real about the things that we feel. So when you go deep... You don't actually find the richness that you're looking for. You find something quite different, as Moses discovered. So better for our own protection just to stay in the shallows. I think there's a few images that that perhaps, I mean, I can't draw at all, which makes this ridiculous, but it, it, it just to kind of, and I'm coming into land, but I think it's important just for us to, to, to capture what we're seeing in Exodus chapter 2, because what happens next, and you'll have to come back next week for the next episode, what happens next is hugely significant in the life of Moses. And it follows a pattern 
that we see in the scriptures with almost every great hero of faith. And it's hardly ever spoken about. Come back next week and we'll explore it. But for now, we tend to think that our heart, that's our heart, it's good, isn't it? Does your heart look like that? It's like, a, it's like on a scales. So you've got the good stuff and you've got the bad stuff. Yeah? Honestly, you could go to an art exhibition and people will pay hundreds for something like that. I can take you to exhibitions like that and you look at something and you go, what? Yeah, you've been to those exhibitions too. And what we think is that if there's enough good, if the good is bigger than the bad, then my heart's good. See you, mate. He's not upset with what I've said or disappointed or angry with me. He's not leaving the church. He's just got somewhere he has to go. <laughs> so, we, so we think, we think that if the good is kind of topped up, then my heart overall is good. But then, but then we can understand perhaps if the bad is really bad and that tops up, then my heart is bad. And that's the way we can think of it, like it's some scales. I might have had some bad stuff, but there's all this good stuff now, so my heart feels good. Does it work like that? No, doesn't work like that. Not at all. Much more likely, the reality is this. Look at that. Thank you very much. Look at that. There's lots of good in your heart, isn't there? Oh, there's some good, isn't there? Let's go. There's a little bit of good in your heart, isn't there? So that's like the clear water, yeah? So you've got your clear water in your heart, yeah? And that's all represents the good. Okay, with that? There's some not so good stuff in your heart, agreed? You sure? So it's a bit like, oh. I don't know why it does that every now and again, but it does. We've got to start again. I've got to draw that heart again now. Oh, that's not working for me, is it? Are you laughing at me? Do you realize how much you're hurting my feelings by doing that? I will have to cope with that. You're still laughing. Stop. It's not fair. I'm going to have another go now. It's hard to have a go when it doesn't feel a very encouraging environment, all right? Okay, so can you give me, I love it when they say on Facebook, positive thoughts. Can you give me positive thoughts? No idea what that means, but give me some positive thoughts, all right? You ready? Yes! Look at that! Let's go back to what we were saying, right? So you got your, your clear, right? It's all good, yeah? But then also you got some bad stuff, right? But it's generally clear, isn't it? It's generally good. What's your heart doing most of the time, I hope? So what happens in real life is all of that gets all churned up. So imagine a clear glass of water and we put a bit of mud in it. It's now no longer a clear glass with a bit of mud. What's the colour of the water? It's brown, it's muddy. And so you come along one day and say, do you know what? The preacher said it was really good to act out of the depths. And so you reach into the depths of your heart and you do something about it and then you go and kill someone. <laughs> and then what we do, because we know that in there is a whole mess, we think to ourselves, do you know what? Let's tell ourselves a different story. I've got no reason to feel like that. 
and it stops all that emotion coming out. And we live like that. We live like that. We tell ourselves a story. Shouldn't feel like that because that's not how a Christian feels. I mustn't feel like that because it's not fair because of these other things God has done. God has been loving to me and God has done miraculous things in my life and I have seen God at work and I do know his love and I have experienced the the love of others. And you can tell that story that is perfectly true. Does it get rid of the crud in your heart? No. It's still there. They've been laughing at me, Care. Thanks, yeah. They've been laughing at me. I'm upset now. I'm going to, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. <laughs> we need to tell our heart story. That's what all this is about. And that's what Moses was going to discover. I'd love you to discover it before you kill someone. Moses didn't discover it before he killed someone. And he lived with that. And we've done things, haven't we, out of a cruddy heart? You've done things you live to regret, haven't you? Both of you have done that. Most of you are perfect. We've done things out of our broken, cruddy heart. We have to deal with that stuff so we can live out of the depths. Are you willing to tell a different story? So if your soul wanted to say something to God, what would it be? What would your soul want to say? Just, just lean in for a moment. Let's be, yeah. Let's be quiet, shall we, for a moment? Let's just lean in. What, what does your soul want to say? If you were honest with what's on the inside, the language of the soul. Forget about the stories you've told. Those stories are true. But what about your heart? What, what would your heart say? What would it dare to say? You know, can you imagine Moses screaming about being abandoned? Or being willing to face what was in his heart rather than just justify. If your soul wanted to say something to God, what would it be? The trouble is, if we're honest, there's always something more immediate than to spend the time to allow your soul to speak. Because today there are jobs that you need to do. And there are probably bills that need to be paid. And there are arrangements that you need to make. And there are meetings you need to attend. And there are friends that need entertaining. And gosh, then there's Sunday lunch. And the washing's not ready for tomorrow. And then there's the packed lunches for Monday. And the box is still dirty from Friday. And oh my word. And so you keep going. And we keep going. And in the end, we forget what our soul ever wanted to say. We forget that still small inner voice of what's in our hearts. If your soul wanted to say something to God, what would it be?
Father, help us to find a safety with you that enables us to be honest and real about what's in our hearts. Because I want to live out of the depths, but I can't when it's full of junk. I want to live out of beauty and vulnerability and joy and delight and wonder. But I can't when there's fear and rejection and anxiety and abandonment and oppression. Father, help me begin to name those things, to know what's there, to let you in, to begin to heal my divided heart. It's a valley that most of us, most of the time, don't want to walk in because it's dark and disorientating. And we fear the valley of our own shadow. But as David remind us, David who actually learnt to deal with his heart before he was able to become king, There are dark valleys, but they lead to greener pastures, to greater freedom, to lush provision. Maybe today's just about saying, I'm willing to go through a dark valley to get to a greener place. And if you ever wonder whether you can make it to the other side, if you ever wonder whether you can make it out of those feelings, if you ever wonder whether you can find the true depths for which you're longing, then we find it here at the cross. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. By his wounds we are healed. Because when you talk about abandonment, Jesus was abandoned on the cross. And when you talk about rejection, Jesus was rejected about those who should have loved him most. And when you talk about oppression, Jesus himself was oppressed. When you talk about humiliation, a crown of thorns was placed on his head. And there is no experience in the depth of your heart, however dark and ugly that feels, that Jesus hasn't reached. No wonder it went dark, as your darkness and mine was laid on him.
And so as we eat the bread, I'll invite people to come and just serve us. Just remain in this prayerful moment. I want you to uh, be aware of this. Can someone just come and share this moment? I want you to be aware of this as you eat this bread. That, that he's with us. That, that he's right there with us in the in the mess of it all. Just imagine the darkness that he experienced. That was my darkness. The feelings that I feel he felt. The brokenness that I know, he knows. The fear that wraps around me, wrapped around him. And he said, remember that. Remember that. This is my body. For you. For you. For you. Perhaps Simone and the band can come and lead us at the heart of this next song before we drink. The heart of this next song is, even in the valley, you are faithful. And sure, we, we carry disappointments with God that we mentioned earlier. And sometimes it's a heck of a job to figure it all out because we're disappointed. God hasn't done what I wanted him to do and it's hard to trust that he'll be faithful. But time and time again, in the end, we've discovered that when everything else is gone, he is there. Even in the valley, you are faithful. Even in the mess, in the pain, the brokenness, you're working for our good.